Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, who's a professor of ag economics here at Purdue. Uh, we're going to review the results from the October Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 18th through the 22nd of October. And Michael, the Ag Economy Barometer dropped again. It dropped to 121 from 124 last month. And I think that's the third month in a row the barometers declined. Were you surprised? Not really. Uh, crop prices were actually a little bit better, and you can comment more on that because you've tracked those a little bit closer than I have. And so, and so I don't think it was crop prices this time. I really think it was input prices or input costs in general. They continue to increase, and that's, that's causing some negative sediment uh, with some folks. Yeah, I, th- I think that's clearly a factor, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. We asked some specific questions about that. If you look underneath the hood of the barometer, the index of current conditions fell, and the index of future expectations fell as well. The index of future expectations, I think, was down just a couple of points for, to a reading of 114 versus 116 last month. That index of current conditions did fall a little more sharply. It dropped to a reading of 135 from 140. And I, I kind of agree with you, Michael. Um, from a longer-term perspective, commodity prices are weaker than they were earlier in the year, and I still think that's kind of hanging on people a little bit with respect to, um, you know, the, the fact that the magnitude of the decline we've seen relative to the highs we put in last spring, or late last spring and early last summer. Um, and then when you think about it, what's really bothering people the most, and they showed up clearly in some of our other questions is this idea of a potential cost price squeeze. And that, that's really what I think is probably motivating the weakness in the barometer, um, along with just general uncertainty, right? I mean, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, the Farm Financial Performance Index dropped this month. Uh, it was steady two months in a row at a reading of 110. This month, it dropped six points to a reading of 104. And what really happened underneath uh, that one was there was fewer producers that said they expect better financial performance with the percentage of people expecting no change in financial performance rising. So there was no change in the people expecting worse performance. It was really a shift from that group that said, we think things are going to be better, uh, to people saying, well, maybe about the same. Was that a surprise? Not really, given what we've talked about with input costs. Uh, and again, just like you indicated earlier, not only has the, the ag economy barometer come down pretty sharply since April and May, so is this farm financial performance index. And so they're very consistent with one another. Yeah, I, I have to say I was a little bit surprised when I looked at the detail uh, responses to this question, not so much the index. I did expect to see more people say worse financial performance, and that didn't happen this month. That's going to be interesting to watch going forward to see if we if we do see people talking a little bit more about financial performance actually declining. The Farm Capital Investment Index rose a little bit. It was a pretty small change, a movement from 43 to 46 and I still think the key point there, Michael, is the fact that that index is so much lower than it was at the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, uh, that index was up over, I think, over 90. So it's down about 50% compared to where it was in the beginning of, of 2021. And I think, again, a lot of that's driven by the supply chain issues. Uh, this is the second month in a row we asked people specifically about whether or not low farm machinery inventories was impacting their, their purchase plans. 
And roughly four out of 10, not quite 40% of the people in the survey said, yeah, that's having an impact. So I, that's what we're picking up from uh, people in the input supply industry, uh, not just on farm machinery, but on some other aspects as well. What's your take on that one? I, I, I agree with you totally on that. A, a recent uh, survey of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City indicated they, they surveyed manufacturing industries around the Kansas City area, the Kansas City Federal Reserve area, um, and which includes Kansas, uh, Missouri, and several other their surrounding states, 95% of the manufacturers surveyed indicated they, they had supply chain issues in their industry. And so this is very, very widespread. I, I think if there's a surprise out there, at least to me, is that if you'd asked me six months ago, or especially a year ago, I really thought the supply chain issues would be resolved or certainly alleviated by now. And instead, it seems like they've been ac- exacerbated. Is that- yes, this has a lot longer legs than I thought. And now they're talking into 2022 uh, facing some issues. And so it, it, it's lasted much longer than I thought it would. And, and more widespread because yes. it's, it's really tied back a lot of places. You know, initially it was about transportation and then obviously the chip shortage uh, with, with, with respect to electronics. But now it appears that what's really happened uh, on a fairly widespread basis in multiple countries has been labor issues and causing factories to either not run at all or certainly run well below what would be an, a more normal capacity. And that seems to be stretching things out quite a bit and really makes it look like we could be in for a bit of a struggle here uh, with respect to the 2022 crop season. And definitely increases the uncertainty related to the 2022 crop season, which is going to have a negative impact on sediment moving forward. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, plans for farm building machinery, uh, farm building purchases and grain bins, uh, that shifted a little bit as well. That was the negative part. So uh, I kind of skipped over the, the farm machinery purchase plans. That actually was a little bit more positive this month than, than last month, but not not very much. But the uh, the downward shift was... Um, what what took place with respect to farm building purchase plans, right? So that was a little less optimistic. That was the bright spot a month ago. We thought maybe that was starting to alleviate a little bit. Uh, This month, the percentage of people saying they plan to increase their purchases uh, for buildings and and grain bins actually dipped back down to 10%. That was down from 13% uh, last month. Uh, It actually puts us pretty close to where we were in June and July. Um, So we kind of lost a little bit of optimism with respect to the buildings and and grain bins, right? And given the strong incomes, I mean, this 10% uh, expecting to uh, expecting to uh, to build uh, to, to purchase farm buildings that's a really low percent, you know, given the how high the incomes really are out there. And so and so obviously uh, some of these things we've been talking about supply chain issues and labor issues are impacting farm building purchases as well as machinery. Yeah, because I think on a lot of those items you'd have trouble getting anything purchased, yes, right? I Particularly think so. uh, for short run purchased and and actually actually built uh, before the end of the year. So Certainly. Yeah, which would be a huge for tax considerations, right? Yes. Um, so there's a question we've been asking now the last couple of months. We got very similar responses this month and last month. Looking ahead to next year, what are your biggest concerns for your farming operation? And we were not surprised. Higher input costs came in at the top of the list here, right? So I think uh, 44%. Last month, it was pretty close to that as well. So not quite half the people in the survey are telling us they are pretty worried about farm input cost. Uh, number two was government policy, which is kind of interesting. 
I think we need to open the hood a little bit, maybe maybe in the November or the December survey, and 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 really tease out a little bit more what they mean by government policy. Is that regulations? Is is that uh, government farm programs? That could be a number of things, but uh, and I think it probably is. It's probably it's probably tax changes that might be coming down the road. Estate tax changes in particular. Uh, it could be regulations that they're worried about, and so that's certainly an area that we'd need to dig into a little bit in future surveys. And we didn't ask this question uh, last winter, for example, at least not this exact question, but I was a little bit surprised that only 9% said COVID's impact was uh, their one of their top concerns. And clearly that's having an impact on the input costs. So maybe that's that's more focused with respect to what they're saying there, but they're not too worried apparently about COVID with respect to maybe health concerns. Yeah, it must be what they're how they're answering that question is that's more related to labor uh, rather than the higher input costs or even even the government policy. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't say that roughly one out of five people in the survey said that uh, low crop or livestock prices are their number one concern. So that gets back at the the cost price squeeze, which I think is what has really got people worried. They've seen uh, several months now of, of softer commodity prices compared to the peaks we put in last spring and early last summer. And at the same time, we've seen this dramatic rise in input cost. And I think that people are concerned about this cost price squeeze on their margins. Definitely. Um, we asked this question now, I think, four months in a row, maybe five months in a row, Michael, uh, about what they expect to see with respect to the prices they're paying for farm inputs. And these last two months, it's really taken off. Um, roughly one-third of the people in the survey the last two months have said they think farm input prices in the upcoming year are going to be 12% or more higher than they were in the prior year. And at that's the largest bucket we gave them. I have a feeling there's some people that would vote for even higher than that greater than 12, right? I'd certainly be in that greater than 12% category if I was answering as a crop producer. Uh, when you look at break-even prices for corn, for example, it's in excess of 15% right now, a uh, higher break-even price in 22 compared to 21. And so uh, just seeing a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, inputs uh, with a substantially higher prices in 22. It, the number one issue, of course, is fertilizer, and you've taken a closer look at those fertilizer values compared to last year, and as well compared to the spring, right? You might share those a yeah, little bit. Yeah, compared to last year, it's well over 100%. I think you had the percent, 125% around in there. Uh, if you look at the spring, March in particular, you're still looking at something uh, over 40%, and, and, and depending on the, the type of fertilizer, it's more than 40%. Yeah, and then I think the related issue is, particularly with respect to some of those items, and depending on location, there's some concerns about availability, right? And that's also true with herbicides. We, you know, certain certain herbicides, there might be some uh, some real issues related to availability, and so and so it's not only price increase, it's also availability, and and so this this is going to be an interesting spring. Yeah, so the the percentage increases in terms of, of prices has been biggest on the fertilizer. But the price increases are pretty much across the board. They're all going up. The, the percentage change is varying somewhat. Yeah, but the you, biggest ones are fertilizer. When you increase fuel, you you increase quite a few other items. I mean, obviously, fuel prices are driving some of the nitrogen price increases. And but repairs, machinery ownership costs. Uh, you go on and on down the line. There there's several cost items that are increasing. Not as fast as fertilizer, but nevertheless, they're going to increase rather sharply uh, in 22 compared to 21. Yeah, that's that's really upended, I think, people's sentiment with respect to what they think is going to happen in 2022. 
The bright spot continues to be farmers are very bullish about farmland values. So that's interesting. And we've been getting some questions from both phone calls and emails asking us about this. The long-term farmland value expectation index hit a new record high this month at 161. Um, it's been up now, I think, four months in a row, and it's really been at a high level throughout 2021. And that's despite all the negativity we were just talking about. What do you make of that? That's, it's really interesting because if you look at the index of future expectations, that's weakened considerably uh, in the last few months, but, but land hasn't. And I think part of this is you, you look at some of the factors that uh, factors other than uh, uh, crop net returns, um, you, know, re, uh, you know, cattle returns, if you're talking pasture, there's a lot of pos other positive factors related to land. Uh, land's a good inflation against, uh, a hedge against inflation, for example. Uh, the low interest rates are certainly very positive to land values. Uh, and so there's some other issues that are, that are impacting land other than uh, net returns. And I, I think that's what's largely driving, uh, driving land values right now and, and, and creating the strength in land values. Do you think the fact that it's difficult from, because of the supply chain issues to make investments in things like farm machinery, um, buildings, grain bins, et cetera, do you think that's a factor? Definitely, and that's a very good point. I mean, obviously, you can build working capital, uh, but what do you build working capital capital for? If you have a, if you to buy land uh, is one of the things reasons why you build working capital over time. And so, and so, some people have obviously taken uh, the the increase in working capital that we've seen the last couple of years and and put it on down payments in land. Yeah. So the the strength and returns that we've seen here, off, especially off the 2020 crop, and truthfully for 2021 is being bid into farmland values in part because of the supply chain issues that's holding back investments in some other areas. Yes, I think that's definitely the case. How hard to gauge how significant that impact is, but it's clearly a factor, I think. Um, so the one thing that on the land side that did show up a little bit negative here was people have scaled back their expectations somewhat with respect to cash rent. So the last few months we've been asking uh, corn and soybean producers, what do they think is going to happen to cash rents in their area in 2022 versus 2021? And, you know, for several months in a row, we were pretty close to a 50-50 split with people saying, I think rents are going to go up. I think rents are going to stay the same. This month, we saw people pull back a little bit. We saw more people say rents are going to stay the same and a smaller percentage, still a large percentage, but a smaller percentage of people said they think rents are going to go up. So just for comparison, last month, 49% um, of the people in the survey said they expected to see higher cash rental rates in 2022 versus 2021. This month, it was 43%. And that sort of made sense to me, although I had a little trouble reconciling that with that very bullish perspective on farmland values. Yeah, I, 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 one of the things I'm getting phone calls on is, is why is land values increasing so rapidly and cash rents uh, increasing but not as rapidly? It goes back to the fact that, you know, interest rates, inflation, some other things are impacting, impacting the land market other than strong net returns. And uh, this one here, I, I wasn't real surprised, but because of what, you've been talk, what you talked about earlier, that cost price squeeze is real. And so some people are starting to look at those break-evens and, and say, well, the price doesn't look like it's going to be too much higher in break-even. 
we can't be real aggressive uh, on cash rents. Uh, having said that, I, I do think in the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, which would include Indiana, uh, we're going to see uh, we're going to see some upward pressure on cash rents. I'd be surprised if it wasn't a five percent increase or more uh, for 22 here in the Eastern Corn Belt. Yeah, when you narrow the survey down and ask the people that say they expect to see cash rental rates to go up, there's a sizable percentage that think the rate's going to go up in that roughly 5% range. There's also some people that think it could be as much as 10%. Yes, I mean you look at uh, how the look at the, the increases in Iowa and land values. You 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 think that there might be some uh, you know a higher than five percent increase in cash rents in Iowa, perhaps. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But um, certainly a little less optimism, a little less less bullishness, I guess, with respect to cash rental rates for 2022 than what we were picking up earlier. And we're going to continue to monitor that and see how people feel about that as they come through the end of uh, 2021. So we did some follow-up questions this month with respect to carbon sequestration opportunities. You know, we asked those questions for several months in a row back last winter and early last spring. And in light of all the publicity there's been with respect to carbon sequestration on farmland and especially cropland, um, we thought it'd be worthwhile to, to repeat those questions. And before I get into the results, Let's just talk a little bit about what we thought we might see. Coming in, I thought we would see more interest, um, more awareness, and, and more interest in terms of people engaging in discussions with the companies. Was that your perspective as well? Yes. I mean, we surveyed we surveyed people in January, February, March, and April, and, and in April, for example, um, you know, 46% uh, said they were aware of opportunities to receive payments for carbon. I thought it'd be higher uh, than 46% that were aware of opportunities in our October survey. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this, it wasn't higher. No. And and I think the key point is to just kind of keep it in those general terms, because there's a relatively uh, small percentage of people that are, that are saying they are aware versus not aware. But still, uh, we, we detected nothing. I mean, if you look at the percentages in the survey, um, in, in the last one we did in April was 46%, as you mentioned, said they were aware of opportunities to receive payments uh, for carbon capture on their farm. This month, it was only 29%. Um, that was not what I expected. I mean, I, I didn't have a magnitude in, in mind, but I definitely expected to see more awareness of opportunities this time around than what we saw back in April. And, and the percentages last winter kind of ranged from, uh, to that question, ranged from about 30%, that was back in January, to 46% on the April survey. So, uh, and then this month, truthfully, we're right back where we were in January, 29 versus 30%. So, my characterization is to say that really hasn't been any change. Do you agree with that? Yeah, there really hasn't. That, and that, that's what's a surprise because it seems like every farm magazine I pick up or every every other email I get, it seems like, has something in there about carbon sequestration and, and opportunities. Um, so then we ask the follow-up question. Uh, have you actively engaged in discussions with any companies regarding receiving payments for capturing carbon on your farm? And... I don't really want to make a big deal about the differences in this month's survey versus January or February because there's a, there is a difference there. But I think the key point is very few people have engaged in discussions. I mean, just to put some numbers on it, uh, January and February was between 5 and 6%. Uh, March, it was about 5%. April, about 4 This month's survey, 
just a little over 2%. I don't know statistically that I can say that there's really a difference in those responses across those months. But the key point is over 95% of the people in the survey have not engaged in a discussion, right? Yeah, and that just, again, we're getting so many questions on this issue. I just thought it would be higher uh, in, in October. It'd be higher than the, the 2%. Yeah, and that's why we did it. We, we kind of thought we'd, we would be able to measure some change. And I think it's interesting that we didn't pick up much change there, really no change at all, at least in the positive direction. So we'll continue to monitor that. That's This is a hot topic in agriculture and obviously in the whole uh, carbon arena. So we're going to continue to monitor that uh, and, and report those results going forward. So... Uh, that kind of wraps up our survey for this month. Uh, if you want some more details, you can go to the website and actually read the report and look at the charts individually. That website is purdue.edu slash agbarometer. Um, and then, of course, we've got our next monthly webinar coming up with respect to the corn and soybean outlook. That'll follow the release of USDA's November World Ag Supply Demand Estimates. That webinar will be on November 10th, and that'll be at 12 p.m. Eastern uh, time. And uh, you can register for that at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And, of course, uh, if you register and you happen to miss the webinar, you don't have a chance to watch it live, you get an email from us uh, shortly afterwards uh, with a link to the video and, and obviously an opportunity to download the slides as well. So with that, I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And so on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and, and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.